given us. We thank you and we love you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you that you're our hope and our rock. You are our lamb and our shepherd. You're our savior. You're our glory. You're the lifter of our head. And I pray that you would be magnified this morning in what you have put in my heart to share with the people. Let us have the revelation of it, the understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to start with me in your Bibles in Second Chronicles 20. I'm going to go to a few passages in Second Chronicles. I'm going to refer to First Peter and also the book of Ephesians. And then I'm going to go to Second Chronicles as well, chapter 5. And as the Lord leads us, if this is his will, we, we will probably finish up in the gospel of Mark chapter 6. So I'm saying that so you can find those places. And by the way, Psalms 141 and Revelation 8. So I hope you love your Bibles, you know. And, um, and people say, okay, can we put these scriptures up on the screen? I love it if they do. That's fine. I would rather you find it in your Bibles and, um, and learn your Bibles well, you know. Learn where it is. Get there. If you're not sure, open up your table of contents and you can just kind of rifle through it when we're turning to different passages. It helps you know the Word of God better. There won't always be somebody with you with a, with a uh, overhead putting up scriptures for you. So know the word. I love the word. The Bible is so precious, and I just thank God for it. Um, I, I'm I'm not a master of anything, I'm, I, but I love to read history. I love to study things. I love to study church history. Um, some of you that really love to study church history would probably shame me on a lot of these things. But a general overview of something that I see when I look back at history and I look at moves of God or an outpouring of God or a particular revival of the Lord, whether it was Azusa Street, whether it was the Wales Revival in 1906, whether whether it was some of the Finney Awakenings, the Edwards Awakenings that happened in our country. Um, one of the things that kind of stands out to me that I, I really appreciate so much is that these movements occurred and these outpourings occurred that really changed the culture. Um, there was something phenomenal that took place that brought an incredible influence against what Satan was doing and what God wanted to do. Now, now keep this in mind that sometimes countries are not saved as a result of a, of, of a national revival. All right. When, when the apostles came out of the upper room and Jesus Christ was on the earth himself, it did not convert Rome, but it sure confronted Rome. All right. And there were people that were saved out of Rome. Please understand that. Keep that in your mind before we might become so critical of something. But one of the things that really stands out to me is it, it is the people who, if I could say it this way, I've, I've just heard this word and I, I liked it, but people who steward the presence of God. It is people who are walking in the presence of God and drawing attention to God's presence and not to themselves. To me, this was an overriding characteristic of every great move of God throughout history. It was the response of people. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened 2,000 years ago in the upper room on the day of Pentecost if there were not people in there to respond to the coming of the Holy Spirit? 
What would have happened? It, it would have been a dud. There, there, there wouldn't have been any type of phenomenal event. Jesus told his disciples to go and tarry in Jerusalem, and they did. And they were waiting for the promise of God. And when the promise of God came, there were people there who were hungering for this event. They were hungering for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They knew he was coming because Jesus told them that they were. And so they were gathered together, and they were expecting. And when the Holy Spirit came, they received him. And then they demonstrated him to Jerusalem. The people heard these people speaking in other tongues. Peter preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to the thousands of people that were in the street. It was because of the people who received the presence of God and manifested the presence of God that brought such an incredible difference in human history. I really want you to get that. I want you to understand it because sometimes we're so attracted to an event. We're so attracted to a happening that oftentimes we miss what is right before us all the time. And let me tell you something. God does not dwell in Jerusalem in a temple anymore. And God does not dwell in Wilmot, Virginia in, in Hughes Hall anymore. And God does not dwell in First New Testament church anymore as in the sense of God having one particular particular location. The Holy Spirit has come and the manifest presence of God is all over the world and anybody by faith can access the presence of God. I mean, even here this morning, we have experienced the presence of God. The only difference that's going to be, is this going to shake the city of Baton Rouge? Is not whether God has come or not, but it is going to be, what is the complacency level of the people who have been in the presence of God? What are you going to do with the presence of God? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to accept that presence of God to your life? And how are you going to demonstrate the fact that you have been with God today? What's going to happen with your life that's going to attract other people? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't move sovereignly in the sense of a revival or an awakening that has a specific purpose of waking up a country or dealing with Satan and dealing with a culture of darkness. He obviously does. But if you want to be a part of that, it's not the fact that you're able to attend something. It's the fact that you're attracted to a somebody and you are willing for him to invade your life and you're going to do something with that. And, 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 and this is what is so crucial in our life. And I love the things, some of the things that I see when, when I look at revival over the history and over church history. There was such a joy. There was such an incredible happiness among the people. There was such a celebration every time a sinner would come to Jesus Christ. People would just begin to dance and shout and have such victory. And oh God, bring that joy back into the house of God. Let there be joy in the house of the Lord again, you know, and be able to understand the, the true desires of the Lord. And, and I, 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 just in regards to what everybody's talking about with Asbury and the things that are happening there. You know what people, the, the one thing that I hear when, when, when I'm listening to a video about that, the people are talking about other people's devotion, other people's love. It's, it's, and so somebody might come, hey, I went to this revival, and this is kind of the thing that stands out to me, is their love for Jesus. They, they talk about Jesus. They testify about Jesus. They're repenting of sin, and they're turning to Jesus. It's these testimonies of people. It's these testimonies that people are speaking up like Billy did here this morning that Jesus affected my life. 
And that's, and, and that seems to be what's so attracted to people. If there was nobody at Asbury, there wouldn't be anything of, on the news about this college at all if it weren't for people who are responding to God's presence. And so I just ask, you know, what if God were to fill you people here today? What would happen? What would be the happening of that? It's always in those whose faith is fervent and those who get the reward, not seeking an experience, but seeking the face of God that are able to step into the presence of God and and have an incredible encounter with a God who has done something fundamental in their life. And we're going to read about a man like that this morning. And his name is David. And he's, I, I love David. I love, I love the realities of his life. And God allows us to know so many things about David's life. But I just ask you that. I, I just ask you to examine your heart. I ask you to examine your life. What is newsworthy about you? If everybody, let's, let's say there, let's say there's a legitimate move of God and outpouring going on in, in Asbury. Let's say there is. I have no reason to think there's not, personally. So let's say that there is. You know, um, in, in regards to that, what if everybody there acted like you? Would there be a move of God? If everybody there responded to the presence of God like you, would there be a sense of God's presence that other people would be able to experience because you are somebody who is aware of his presence and you're drawing attention to Jesus Christ? Is that the way you go to church? Is that the way that you worship? Because everybody wants a move of God. I, I wouldn't imagine you'd be here today if you didn't want a move of God. But God is moving. Would to God that the rivers of the Spirit were so full and so free, flowing out of every channel, which is all of you. And God would move so greatly and mightily. As a matter of fact, we, uh, Wesley, thank you, had just felt led of the Lord to have a prayer meeting last night. And we had quite a number of young people in here praying. It was beautiful. We prayed for about two hours and it seemed, you know, that, that it was uh, not long at all. And, and I love Wesley's maturity. Wesley said, we're not here for days. We, we just might be here for a moment and we're not here for an experience. We're just here seeking the face of God. And even after the prayer kind of closed, people hung around, I don't know, for over an hour, just continuing to have that kind of fellowship. And they're going to have an all night prayer meeting this Friday. It's it's not to duplicate something. It's not to make something happen. It's just we want to seek the face of God because there's a stirring of God in the earth today and Jesus Christ is coming soon. God put it on my heart. God put it on my heart to have this prayer conference in, in March and, and I knew that the Lord said, you know, I, I want us to do this. And the, the word that I kept hearing from the Holy Spirit was this, that if my people are not intimate with me, they're going to find it very hard to stand for me in what is coming. Because the most difficult days, I believe, in the history of America for Christians is upon us. I don't think it's coming. It's been here. Just people don't want to see it. They don't want to wake up to that. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're not intimate with God, you're going to find it very hard to stand for God. You're not going to die for somebody you don't love. And it's easy to fall in love with this idea of God, this idea of Christianity. But when you're going to jail for your Christianity, I think only people that are lovers of God are going to do that. And, and we need to be intimate with the Lord. So, so the title I wanted to have for the prayer conference was quite long. 
you know. It was like, if you're not intimate with God, how do you know you'll stand for God? You know, it's like, no, let's just do prayer conference. So we're doing a prayer conference and we did all the flyers and I texted all of the pastors around the nation that I know. And I'm sending this out to them. Please come because I have pastors telling me quite often I don't have a good prayer life. I really don't know how to pray. Last year, we had a prayer meeting, a prayer retreat with our teenagers. And we went and spent a couple of days and nights praying. And it was just prayer. And these kids are asking us to do it again. You know, I mean, God's moving in the young people. Young people, don't let the old people stop you, please. I mean, I'm on your side. Run with God. I mean, we'll block them, okay? Run with God. Because I just want God to use you so mightily. And um, I don't know where I was going. Second Chronicles 20, verse 8. This is um, a situation in Judah where they're about to be under attack against an army. They cannot fight. They have no natural way of defeating this army. And it says in verse 8, And they dwelt therein. And he, first of all, this prayer is going up to God that you're the God of our fathers. You're the God in heaven. You're the king over all kingdoms. In your hand is power and might. And this great army has come up against us. And we have no defense but you. We have no hope but you. Aren't you our God? Didn't you drive out the inhabitants of this land even before we got here? Now they're back on us. And God, we need your help. And so they they take this promise God had given them. Verse 8. And they dwelt therein in this land. And we built you a sanctuary. Herein for your name, saying, you said this, God, if when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, if we stand before this house and in your presence, for your name is in this house, and cry unto you in our affliction, then you will hear and help. Now, I want to say to you this morning that God has a greater house than this. And a a greater than Solomon has come, who is Jesus Christ. And he has built God a greater house and a better house. And that house is called the church of Jesus Christ. And not only was this house given a promise that God's name would dwell there. I assure you that God's name dwells in the house that Jesus, his son, has built. And I assure you, as God would give promises to the nation of Israel, when trouble comes, when pestilence comes, when war comes, when famine comes, when calamity comes, if y'all of Israel would gather together to this house and in my presence, because my name is in this house, and you cry to me, I will hear you, I will help you. And, And the king has said, God, you said that. That's what you said. And, and the Bible has assured us as Christians, Jesus said this, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And beloved, I tell you this, that our world is in an incredible crisis and Christianity is under attack. The light of Jesus Christ is constantly being contended with against the powers of darkness And that means your personal life is under attack. There are trials that you face, sicknesses that you might walk through. There might be calamities that you have to deal with. 
And the fact of the matter is that God has brought you together into a family and into a body that is called his church. And he has tried to communicate to you that you don't have to fight alone. You don't have to live alone. You don't have to battle alone. You don't have to go through it alone. If you will get to my house and my presence is in my house and you can have people gathered together in my name and you cry to me in my house, I will hear you and I will help you. And I believe that we need to understand the spiritual warfare that we have been brought into just because we become Christians is a battle that has victory written all the way through it because of King Jesus. And when we stand in his name, I don't care what the name is that's come against you. Whether it's Parkinson's or whether it's diabetes or whether it's suicide or whether it's a rebellion in your children, a rebellion in your grandchildren. For God's sake, get to the house of God in the name of God, in the presence of God, with believers of God. Tell the devil to stop. Command him to fight him. Fight him in the name of Jesus Christ. Do war against him in the name of Jesus Christ. Dwell close with your king so you can hear what he says to you, especially through his word. This king was not being presumptuous. He opened up the text and he pointed to it and said, God, you said, if we came to this house and cried, you would hear us. And God heard, praise God. In this story, God heard. And a prophet spoke to the king and to the nation. And they assured them that God was going to fight this battle for them. But you still got to go out there. You're not going to hide in your closets and under your beds because an army's, you're going to go out there and you're going to go out there praising me and singing to me. You're going to look absolutely insane as a nation going out to war. But you're going to go out there singing and praising me and I'm going to break out upon the enemies of God. And that's what he did. And so the Bible tells us this, and this is something that I want to just really be in the forefront of your, of your eyes right now. In verse 20, it says, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. It doesn't matter what you sing. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what words come out of your mouth. If you don't believe in the Lord your God. Everything else is calisthenics. But faith. Faith in God. If you believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Believe his prophets. So shall you prosper, because a prophet was telling them what to do. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. This means nothing if you don't believe in God. But they went forth believing in God. And they were saying this praise. This this is what they said. I I assume they said this all day long. They just repeated it. We're not told they said anything else. They just want to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They went out in front of the armies of Israel. Praise the Lord for his mercies endure forever. 
They were saying it. They were stating it. They were speaking it. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. God moved. And God moved. The Bible says it very clearly. It's connected. God moved very clearly. When they began to sing and to praise, then God broke out against their enemies. And it all stems from, do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe in God? And when you believe in God, then what you begin to say about God, you know is the truth about God. And so they go forth into battle and they sing and praise. I've said this to you as a church before. You can sing and not praise. Both need to happen. I thank God for the singers on the platform. And I thank God they're not only singers, but they're praisers. Just like Gabriella praising the Lord before she sings the song. Beautiful. Beautiful testimony. And they're praising the Lord and the choir, they're talking to God and they're speaking words to God, but they're singing. And, and, and our church is, is grown into an understanding of how we need to have people in the altars. What are we doing in the altars? We're not here like groupies at a rock concert. We're here in this altar. You know what we're doing? We're praising while they're singing. Because we believe that when we begin to praise and to sing, a God in heaven is going to break out on our enemies. That's what we believe. And I ask for every believer in God to believe in the Lord and sing and praise. And believe for God's presence to come and to break out upon our enemies. The greatest thing that anybody can do for anybody else is to provide the presence of God. That's the greatest thing that you can do. And somebody comes in here with a need, and, and, and maybe their need is so extraordinary and so great, and maybe, maybe there's depression and there's despair and there's suicide. And what are we going to do, guys? And I'm believing for it when the woke begins to wake up. They begin to understand, I've been lied to, I've changed my sex, this did not fulfill me, I am so empty, I'm going to kill myself. Wait a minute, I heard there's a Jesus that can do something with my life, and they come sit in here. Your counseling, as good as it may be, is not going to change their sex back. The greatest thing that we could do for anybody is to provide the presence of God. And right there in the midst of that is a king who can heal you. A king who can deliver you. A king who can set you free. There's no greater people in the house of God than the people that understand and believe that what goes on in the house of God depends upon me. It depends upon my participation. It depends upon the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through my life. America cannot afford for her church people to simply attend church anymore. We're losing. We're losing a battle we shouldn't lose. We're losing a fight we should not lose. And what we desperately need is the presence of God. That is extended to people who are praising him and worshiping him. That's the phone call. God, will you come? If you want God's presence, praise him. 
Well, I'm depressed. All the more you need to praise God. The reason you're depressed is you stopped praising Him. Romans 1. I'm not making it up. Romans 1. The reason you think God's against you is you've stopped praising Him. You've attracted doubt and wickedness and unbelief to your life. And even begin to think that God's against you. He who gave His own Son for you is not against you. So you begin to praise God. And God comes and God inhabits that. And and we're not going to turn there, but I want to refer you to it. In in 1 Peter, Peter says that believers, under the trial of their faith, suffer, if need be, manifold temptations. Manifold is like the waves of a raging sea, one after the other. And they're dealing with manifold temptations. That word temptation is the attempts of the devil to overthrow their faith. Come on, you know what it means. You understand that. You've been there. I've been there. We've cried, God, what are you doing? Do you see what I'm going through? God, you gave me a promise. I'm standing on your promise, but that's not what's happening. Something else is happening. And the devil is trying to do everything he can to overthrow your faith. And so Peter talks about us wrestling. And not only does Peter do that, but the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we wrestle, not against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's what we wrestle against. And what does that mean? It means this, that sometimes you, sometimes me, sometimes us, and maybe sometimes all of us are in hand-to-hand combat with Satan. And it sure is good when I've got other believers around me who are inviting the presence of God into my wrestling match so I can tap out and Jesus can tap in. I believe this with all of my heart. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And sometimes it's about all you can do to keep your head up. Well, the Bible says we We wrestle. I need to help you. You need to help me. We need to help each other. We're the house of God. And there's no greater way we can help each other than provide the presence of God. And not be dead religious people looking for a seat. I want to go to church and I want to look for a need. I want to look for somebody that's in combat. I want to look for somebody whose head's going under. And I want to go and I want to intercede and I want to pray and I want to enter into that believing that God the Holy Ghost has a gift in me as frail as I might be. But this person's drowning and I can't watch them drown. I got to do something. But we're we're so conditioned by our church tradition in America. Just go find your seat and be quiet. There's plenty of churches that would love that. I don't. I don't want to be still. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be tempered. I don't want to be, you know, just stoic. I want to be alive under God. I want to fall on my face because the presence of God is coming. I'm so moved by him. So moved by him. I want him. I hunger for him. I long for him and desire him. I believe you do too. I believe you want that too. When they began to sing and to praise, God moved. I want you to look at this in Second Chronicles 5. 
I'm going to try to focus upon this for just a moment for the sake of time. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, then we're going to go to 1 Chronicles. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good. There it is again. His mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And then, not until then, but when that happened, then. I want to then, every day of my life. Do you? What kind of church you want? What kind of God you want? What kind of people do you want to be? Are you content with what you are? Or is there something inside of your spirit that's craving more of God? Longing for Jesus. Not, 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 not anything else. Just Him. I want Him. This goes on to say... If you will follow with me in chapter 7, verse 6. And the priests waited on their offices. The Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord. I just want this to stand out to you. Which David the king had made to praise the Lord. Because his mercy endures forever. Praise God. When David praised by their ministry and the priest sounded trumpets before them in all Israel. This is important. I, want you to, I just want you to see this. That David had made the instruments for the purpose of praise. And he had instructed the priest on how and when to praise God and sound the trumpets and play the music. David had provided the instruments for praise and the instructions on praise. He didn't make this up. David was one of the most remarkable men you will ever read about in the Bible. He had much corruption in his life, but no more than yours. Most people would throw a David away today, but God would not. And David was a prophet, not just a singer. But one special thing about David that God said about him, even after David was dead, God says this to his son Solomon. Your father was a man after my own heart. 
I'm going to tell you what I believe that to be. And I hope that you will understand it. In order for me to do that, just read, if you will, in First Chronicles. Chapter 28. Just be here for a moment. David is standing before Israel. He is transferring his kingdom over to Solomon. Such mysteries in the Bible. David said, you know what? I've got many sons. Solomon's not my firstborn. But he's God's choice for the king. I don't understand that. Solomon would not exist had it not been for an adulterous relationship. I know that he was not the first conceived child that Bathsheba had. But through that relationship, Solomon is the son of Bathsheba. And he is God's choice for the king of Israel. I don't get it. Messes your theology up a little bit. Anyway, it's another message. But David said, listen, this is the important thing that I want you to see in verse 11. David gave to Solomon, his son, the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof. And of the treasuries thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and the inner parlors thereof, and the place of the mercy seat. David gave Solomon the pattern. David's the architect of this. Don't forget that. And the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed David this. Beautiful. He showed him the courts of the house of the Lord and all the chambers round about. He showed him the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. And as we read just a moment ago, the courses are the duties of the priest and the Levites. And for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the vessels of service, which included the musical instruments David made, all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. All of this was given. Verse 19. All this said David. The Lord made me understand in writing. By his hand upon me. God made me understand this. Because his hand was on me. Even all the works of this pattern. Like all the duties and responsibilities of the people. And how it was going to be put together. So David tells Solomon to be strong. Be of good courage. Because this is a tremendous task. But it's going to be done. It's going to be done. And just for the sake of time, let's read the other two scriptures. It is in the book of Psalms. And I want you to see this. This is David's prayer. And this is in Psalm 141. And the Bible says in verse 1, this is a psalm of David. <clears throat> Lord, I cry to you. Make haste to me. I'm crying to you. Hurry. Get to me. Listen to my voice when I cry to you. Let my prayer be set forth before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal what he says there. I, I, I'm going to read it one more time so it stands out to you. But he says this. He says, let my 
prayer be set forth before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. How many of you know that David had a spiritual encounter with God? How many of you understand that the Spirit of God showed David what the house was supposed to look like and all the things that were going on in it? And God's hand was on David so that everything he put down was put down by God. And then he says something of this magnitude in Psalm 141 that we've just read through and, you know, just goes on to the next verse. But I want it to stand out to you. And I'm going to Revelation chapter 8. And there's this verse here that I just want to read to you. And I've shared this with you before. And I'll share it with you if Jesus tarries a hundred more times. God has given me the revelation of repetition. I forget my own messages by Tuesday. <clears throat> Revelation 8, 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. <clears throat> and there was given unto him much incense. This is actually in heaven. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. Are you getting where I'm going with this? So, so don't read Psalm 141 casually again. David saw something. He pressed in and he understood a divine truth that he's trying to share with the generations. <clears throat> And I pray that we would be able to understand it ourselves with all of my heart. I do pray this. I'm turning to Mark 6. I'm not going to read it right now. I may not have time to read it, but I'm going to just get there. <clears throat> so I want to explain this to you. If praise is the highest occupation of angels, there must be some valid reason for it. If heaven considers it important to maintain a chorus of praise unceasingly day and night around the throne of God, then it must be supremely efficacious. <clears throat> Would God tolerate an activity and exercise in heaven that is futile and irrational, which some of you might think of praise as being futile and irrational? That's why maybe we don't practice it. <clears throat> Just consider how loud it is in heaven. The church services there are not quiet. They're much louder than anything you've experienced on earth. A rushing mighty river, lightning, thunder, voices. The, the, the crying of angels, holy, holy, holy. The shaking of the foundations of God. <clears throat> crying out to the Lord who it was and is and is to come. The giving of thanks to him on the throne. Strong angels crying with mighty voices, proclaiming. That the Lamb is worthy along with the saints and the redeemed singing voices of many angels and saints with loud voices speaking to God on the throne, declaring things about God on the throne. The highest function of the angelic host is to praise. One of the chief activities in heaven and eternity is praise. The ever-increasing approximation to the infinitely lovely character of God is the most sublime goal of all creation. God is the greatest good, the highest joy, the most exquisite delight, the supreme rapture, the most ravishing transport that the human spirit will ever experience is God. And praise is your access by the blood of Jesus 
into his presence. The secret of answered prayer is faith without doubt. And the secret of faith without doubt is praise. Continuous, massive, triumphant praise. Praise that is a way of life because you are a believer in the Lord. Many say they want to be led of the Spirit, but they do not want to create an atmosphere of praise. Contradict themselves. Our praise must provide the atmosphere. He comes. We enter into Him and His presence. God is to be celebrated, not because He is an egomaniac, but because He is in Himself, in His essence and being, absolutely glorious, Marvelous, beautiful, delightsome, happy, benevolent. And his mercies endure forever. He is an eternal fountain of goodness. And it pours out of him and joy surrounds him. Never ending delight is in his presence. His presence is rich with healing and benefit and benevolence. His desires to bless us are way beyond the proportion of what we deserve to be blessed with. But when God comes on the wings of his people's praise, he comes and passes out his gifts. And David knew that. So God says that David was a man after my own heart. And I thought, God didn't say this about anybody else. Because I, I, will, I will tell you, and I don't have time to go into the scriptures, but it, it deals with the time when Nathan and David were talking about the building of the house. And Nathan said to David, you can't build the Lord a house, you're a man of war. And David goes and he sits before the Lord. And God has spoke of David's empire. It's eternal. And David sits before the Lord. And God said this to David. Who told you that I wanted a house? I never shared that with anybody. That's never happened with another man. God's never said that about any other man. Every prophet who would speak spoke because a revelation of God came to them. But here's David. And his longing is not to know things about God. His longing is for God. I want you. <clears throat> I want to build the Lord a house. Because he saw something. The Holy Spirit showed him. God's hand was on him. And David drafted everything up and drew the plans. And he even drew the instruments up and how the priests were going to serve and during the reign of Solomon, the queen of Sheba would come and she would lose her breath. The way your servants line up into the temple to praise God. The way that everybody is in their positions. The way that everybody begins to serve in the, in the, in the temple of God and around your, your kingdom, Solomon. I've heard about it. But I'm going to tell you, the half of it wasn't told to me. You have taken my breath away. That was David. That was David did that. And I long for the day. I long for the day. Not because of celebrity preachers or celebrity musicians or anything of that nature. I long for the day when we are so hungry for Jesus Christ. 
That we come in here and lost people would come in and say, you know what? I heard about God's presence. I heard about God being among you. And I had to come see it for myself. And when I came into your church, my God, the way that you open your Bibles, the way that you seem to cherish it is the very words of God. The way you would gather around this invisible God and sing to him and cry to him and love on each other. It has taken my breath away. I'm blown away by your love for God. Oh, God, give us that kind of church. Oh, God, give us kind of lovers like that for you, God. Forgive us for our cold hearts and our boredom. Forgive us, God, that we're not more interested in you than we are. Forgive us, God, that we don't love your word. That your word is true. Oh, God, forgive us. You're worthy, God. You're worthy. Oh, God, you're worthy. Oh, when did it start? When did it start? I don't know for sure. I imagine this. When David would go and bring his sacrifices for his sins. Let's just pretend this is the sacrifice for his sins. And David would go and that pulpit is the gate where the altar is. And David would go and a priest is standing there. And David would go and he would... Bring the sin offering and the priest would take it. This is as far as David could come. This is the only entrance into, into that tabernacle. There wasn't a house at that time. And maybe David would just, just look. And he would long. Oh God, you're in there. And I can only come here. Oh God. None of these priests love you like I do. When shall I come and appear before you, God? When shall I come? Oh, God, in the side of that tent is your glory. How I've longed to see your glory. How I've longed to gather with the people and just gaze upon your beauty. But, God, I can't come in there. Oh, God. David would go in his longing and his passion. And David would begin to understand that, God, you're greater than that tent. And, oh, God, the longing and the affections of my life are for you, oh, God. God, I lay up on my bed and I think about you through the watches of the night. I can't go to sleep because I'm in love with God. I can't go to sleep because I'm in love with Jesus, God. Your mercies, they're just new every morning, as Jeremiah would say. And David would just pursue the Lord. And David would say, oh, God, as, as the deers pant for the water, I pant after you, oh, God. And then somewhere in the midst of all of that longing for God, the Spirit of the Lord came to David. And he said, David, I want to show you something. Come with me. And by the Spirit of the Lord, David saw. He saw the spiritual of it. And he understood now all of those incense that the priests do are shadows and they're types. And all these things that they swing as they go into the holy place. And what happens in the holy of holies and that darkness and only God's presence is the light of it. All of that are types and shadows. 
But David said, I saw it by the Spirit God. I now understand the priests are not the ones that get to have this, this intimacy with you. Oh God, let my prayers be as incense rising up to you. And oh God, let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice to you. Because David saw it. He saw what John saw. He saw the prayers of the saints. In Revelation chapter 8, the prayers of the saints rise up in the nostrils of God like incense. Would we not pray more? In rich intimacy and adoration, not struggling in our flesh through another prayer meeting. Would we not pray more if we believed that? Oh God, get a hold of me. I am so wretched. I preach it to you and I still don't believe it like I should. But I believe. I believe. Thank you for being a believing church. Thank you. Thank you for putting up with me. I want you to want Jesus so badly. Oh, he's just not loved today. Like he deserves to be. I'm going to close with this. Just listen to it. He went from there. And he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. They were astonished at Jesus. And this is what they said. From where does this man have these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him and mighty works? They said three things about Jesus. How does he have what he has? He has incredible wisdom. And he does mighty works. They didn't know how, but they had to admit those three things. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, Simon? Are, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They stumbled at him. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. They had to say three things about Jesus. He's got something nobody else has. He has wisdom and he has power. He's a miracle worker. We cannot deny that. But Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I read that to you this morning because I just want to challenge you. You're a great church. You're great people. But I want to challenge you because many of you believe the things I've shared with you this morning. You acknowledge those things to be true. But you will not do them. And that's unbelief. You will not do them. And, and really the only thing is just the pursuit of God. By the Holy Spirit. And giving him the glory and the praise. And receive his presence and demonstrate his presence to a world that so desperately needs him. Do you know what shut the ministry of Jesus down in his hometown? You know what shut it down? It was a 
handful of men. Just a handful of men who kind of went around and said, the dude grew up here. That's his sister, his brothers, it's his mama. Come on. Come on. That's what some of you dads do when your family gets home. You don't have to do all that. Young people, don't let your parents take the love of Jesus out of your heart. Don't let it happen. You pursue him with all your might, with all your passion. Old people, middle-aged people, all people, don't let anybody take the hunger and love for Jesus out of your heart and your passionate pursuit of him. I don't care what they think about me. He did a few miracles because maybe a few people said, Jesus, I hear what they're saying about you, but I'm not them. I need you. I need you. A lot of people did not want Jesus. I say here, we do want him. We want Jesus. We need Jesus. We don't need a hood ornament that says Jesus. We need Jesus. We need his presence. We need his life. And I'm going to tell you, it's convicting. His presence is so convicting. But that conviction feels so good. So wonderful. Feels clean. Feels holy. So Mark 6. Are you going to do it? Or are you going to say, ah, you know. You guys up at that altar, you just, it's ridiculous. You don't, you don't have to do it. I, I can do that from here. I can do that from here. I can do that from here. You miss the whole point if that's your attitude. Here is not a geographical location on the planet, whether it's here or here or here or here. That's, that's got nothing to do with it. It is the drawing of the heart that hungers so much for Him. And there are people that I love that are being fought by hell and the greatest thing I can do for them is to wrestle with them and seek the presence of God for them and I'll do that I'll live that I'll die that that's the greatest thing I can do is to love God to love people and I invite you to that I'm passionate for his house passionate for his glory I invite you to the greatest joy you could ever know in your life I invite you to the fullness of joy I invite you to a life that is not overcome by depression that is not overcome by despair that is not tempted with suicide I invite you to a life that has hope against addiction I invite you to a lover that will love you better than any person could ever love you. I invite you to everlasting peace and fullness of joy. I invite you to intimacy with the living God who has made the way possible for you through his own shed blood and the doors are open. Come. I invite you to that. On his behalf, I invite you. It's yours. 
not just this moment, every moment, every day, he's there for you. Every moment, every day, he's there for you. Young people, this is your generation. This is your moment. This is your time. I don't know what generation they refer to. Generation Z, X, I have no clue. But whatever that generation is, you young people, you 10-year-olds, you 8-year-olds, you 15-year-olds, God's moving in your generation. He's using you. Do you know that John the Baptist was about 30 years old when his head was chopped off? His whole ministry was in his 20s, as was Daniel, Joseph. I invite you. I love you, church. Thank you for thank you for your love for God. Thank you for your response. You're going to grieve over your imperfections. But your hope is in His perfection. You're going to long for Him. The whole time you're longing from him, for Him, you're going to drink from His river. Ever satisfying is Jesus.